following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. We start chapter 5 today. We've been moving through the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to John chapter 5. This is the fourth book in the New Testament. We refer to it as a gospel um, because it's good news. Uh, that's what gospel means. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an eyewitness account from uh, one that would say that Jesus loved him dearly and knew it. And, uh, and he gives us a testimony of his, of his experiences with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and he, is, he is witnessing to us today through the Holy Spirit. Uh, he wrote these words by the Holy Spirit. And now this glorious spirit that if you have trusted Christ as Lord has been put in you as a seal, a guarantee, a deposit of what's ahead. Like that, that same spirit is going to lead you into all truth and remind you of everything that he's already spoken to you. And so this is the glorious work that God's going to do as we read his word. Chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love to give you one. If you don't have one, uh, please please own the one that's in the seat, uh, seats in front of you. There should be throughout the, the worship center, there are, there are Bibles. Please make those available to yourself and read with me. Uh, this, is, uh, this is God's word. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now they're in... There is in Jerusalem by the sheep's gate a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethsaida. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what it says. Um, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to them, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the, sab- was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They, they asked him, you know, like I'm just thinking for this moment, like I, he probably doesn't ever want to stop walking again. Like he's just walking. I, I can walk. I'm walking. I'm walking. Right? And, and, and here's the religious folks going, stop doing what you're doing. Like, I, it just boggles my mind. So, like, they, they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Verse 13. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had, had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Interesting. Verse 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see... You are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Worse than 38 years. Okay. Worse may happen to you. Verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. 
But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more now, not persecuting, to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, let's walk through this text together. This is really fantastic. Um, And I'm excited. Okay, so verses 1 through 3, listen to what this says. After this, okay, so one of the things that we found is, is that John has been really methodical about telling us the chronological timelines that we've been walking through. You know, the next day with John the Baptist, and then the next day, and then he's in Samaria, and he stays there two days. And so we see this, we see the chronology, and it's very concise. Um, but here, he breaks that and just says, basically, after this, and moves into a feast. Now, he doesn't say the feast, so we assume that this is not Passover again, which has been recent in the text. So this is probably one of the other two major feasts. Uh, and the, there are three major feasts uh, in Jewish culture. The first is Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread. They back into one another. And then the next one is the Feast of uh, Weeks, or we call it, or they called it Pentecost. Uh, we, we also celebrate Pentecost. This is the birth of the church. This is when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Um, and that's all connected to this Jewish festival, this feast. It all, it all foreshadows. We're not going to get into that this morning. But then it is the Feast of Tabernacles or the, the Feast of Booth, Booths. So it's probably one of the two latter feasts uh, because it's been a recent feast. And usually, the, the, usually, not always, when referred to uh, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's the feast. Uh, that is the that is the pinnacle feast. So um, so after this was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So another thing that you'll see quite often is if you if you're familiar with uh, with Israel's geography, you know that he was coming from from Cana of Galilee. Uh, if he's coming to Jerusalem, that's not that's not north, that's south. Uh, we we do know that this is a, this is an elevation uh, issue. I mean, uh, they're climbing altitude. Um, but that's really not what the text is trying to help us to understand. This is trying to tell us when they're going up to Jerusalem, it's a spiritual pilgrimage. It's a, it's a journey to the, to the Lord. They're, they're coming to worship. Uh, that's really what the up signifies. So verse 2 um, goes on to say, Now they're in Jerusalem by the sheep gate at uh, a sheep gate, a pool. Okay, so this pool... Um, and why is it called the sheep's gate or the sheep gate? Um, if you go back to Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, uh, this is when the gate was built, okay? This gate uh, was built during Nehemiah's time when he came back to, to be uh, a part of the rebuild of Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile. And uh, the reason this gate was called sheep's gate, or sheep gate was because there was two pools of water that were there, and it would have been sustenance for the sheep. And it would have been promptly after they had walked through that gate and this gate, it seems to be named, and it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of Levites that actually build this gate, and it's from that point forward that it's referred to as the Sheep Gate, um, right into Jesus' time. And so there's these two pools of water that are there, and that's interesting that we pick that up here in just a moment. So it says in Aramaic, uh, this, uh, this gate or this pool uh, is called Bethesda. I did say that wrong. Bethesda. Okay, so the word Bethesda 
has, it's called house of mercy. That's what it means, house of mercy. So like a lot of times you'll, you'll, you'll see that hospitals within our country, around the world even, uh, will have the name, will use the name Bethesda, right, in their, in their, in their title. And, uh, and this, this name means house of mercy. Now, what we see going on in this text is that this is literally uh, Jesus' modern-day ER, Okay, this is where and people are coming to Jerusalem because here's the connotation. Um, most people, when they walk into a, a religious context, into church, um, you know, we're going to be on our best behavior. We're going to we're going to do some really nice things that we might not do in other contexts, um, especially if we're religious, if we're just trying to be obedient to a, a set of guidelines or rules, uh, if you could imagine. And so um, anybody that was needy or poor or sick. Um, would, you know, with the exception of leprosy, because they weren't allowed to be, they were considered unclean, they would, they would gravitate to Jerusalem because when people came for worship, they would be extremely benevolent, right? They would be very generous, and, uh, and they would have this posture where they would be sustained in this, this state, right? Which is, in some degree, a little bit sad. Um, but this, this would be almost something that they would then become identified by, their condition, okay? And we'll talk about relatability to that in just a minute. So and there were three languages, as we see in verse 2. There were three languages that were used. We see this at the cross that uh, Pilate had uh, Jesus, the, you know, king of the Jews, put in three different languages. So it was Latin, Aramaic, right, and Hebrew. So like here's, or, or Aramaic is a form, I'm sorry, it's Latin, Aramaic, and Greek, excuse me. Right, thank you. So these, these, because um, so in this particular situation, the Aramaic is is Bethesda, and it's a house of mercy. So which has five roofed colonnades. Uh, this is some some of your or Bibles might translate these porches, like Solomon's porch or colonnade uh, is referred to as one of the, the, the facets of the temple. So just to get a picture of this, you've got two pools of water. Um, these are possibly either one of two things. They're either springs, right, that we would have a context for maybe at Crystal River here, Three Sisters, or, you know, springs that we see around the state of Florida and other contexts. In the Bahamas growing up, we had things called blue holes. Okay, how many people are familiar with a blue hole? Okay, a few, good. So uh, you don't want to be around. My wife raises her hand. Yeah, I figured you knew, honey. So like uh, a blue hole, you, it's a dangerous thing if you're out in the ocean and there's a blue hole because... They, they basically kind of ebb and flow like the tide, but in, in very drastic measures, it can literally suck you in, and then it actually comes out at another place on land, typically. It can come out in the water in another place as well. And uh, so these things will, will kind of move massive amounts of water back and forth and, uh, and cause a lot of stirring in the water. And if you're caught up in that, I mean... If you're a diver, you avoid blue holes, even though there, you know, there are some like, oh, what a blue hole. Um, so, like, um, so many speculate that this was either these were either springs um, or or blue hole. Okay, so here's what's going on here. Um, are you are you familiar with any sort of superstitions within cultures? Do we have those things? Right, that uh, people they don't even need a whole lot of evidence. I mean, there are people that are you know firm believers that there's aliens, yet we have zero evidence of that. Right, um, but they're, they're they're convinced. There's other things that are more superstitious um, that that people will subscribe to, and they will they will they will live uh, around a horoscope, uh, things like this. So um, 
one of the things that happened, and how many of you, like if you look at your Bible right now, depending on your translation, some of you have verse 4, some of you don't. Just take a peek. If you have the ESV, if you have the NIV, there's no verse 4. If, uh, if you have uh, the King James and some other, uh, I think it's the NASV, uh, it's present. So let me give you a little context to that, a little background, because I don't want you wondering about that for the rest of the sermon. So what's going on here is, so um, those that were a part of the, the King James translation uh, would have put this on the side as commentary, what we see in verse 4, as commentary to explain verse 7. Verse 7 is extremely obscure talks about the stirring of the water. The first one in gets healed. And uh, again, my perception is that, that this is a superstition. Um, and so um, some, you know, th- this, this would have been on the, 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 the uh, footnote per se. In some of your Bibles, it actually is a footnote on the bottom. Um, and this was a, a way of explaining what was going on in verse 7. Now, let me say this. This doesn't have any bearing on doctrine. This doesn't have any bearing on the ministry and the mission of Christ, on truth whatsoever. But here's the thing. When you go back to uh, the original transcripts, the original translations, and you have to get, go back prior to 400 AD, there, it does not exist. And, and there's over 5,000 fragments and manuscripts that, that, that doesn't have this, this component. And this is not unusual. There's, uh, there's several other places, very, very, very minimal Right. Um, but uh, but one of the reasons that we are, are very much a proponent, I, you know, I've been, in, I've been in the NIV and ESV for 30 years and you just don't find these things. They reference them. So there's not confusing. Um, but we got to be careful about those things and make sure that we're good Bereans and, and that we study these things through. Um, and it's basically there to help us understand what's happening in verse seven. Good news is in every single state that this is, whether it's Mark 16 or, uh, or the Ethiopian eunuch um, uh, statement to believe. Uh, every time, these are not an issue of doctrine. These do not change the context of, of, the, of the, uh, the teaching of the message. Um, but they're me- meant to help to understand. So moving on there, it, it goes on and says, in these days, picking up in verse 3, uh, in, these, uh, in these lay, excuse me, a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So he is amongst a group of people, and this is a massive group of people. You could imagine this is the ER of the day, right? So Jesus, now this is interesting. Jesus marches into town, and the first place he goes, not to the temple, not to friends and family, Jesus walks into the ER. He walks, he goes where there is need, where there's brokenness, where there's pain, uh, and Jesus literally walks in seeking out, just like he did with the woman in the well or Nicodemus, like he seeks this guy out. He is not looking for Jesus. Jesus is looking for him. And that's glorious to think about. That's glorious to understand that this is, this is the nature of our God, that Jesus came in hot pursuit of the sinner to save the souls of men when he left heaven and uh, was birthed as Emmanuel, God with us, in, into humanity. And this is a picture of that. A couple of thoughts that uh, I came across. Um, we have a couple of pools of water, and I'll probably botch these names, but Fatima. Um, many of you are familiar that there's several bodies of water that are in our current context, modern days, that people still go to in different cultures expecting the healing waters to have impact. And when we think that we are excluded to this, and that's not of any influence in our culture, just look at cosmetics or anti-age 
uh, stuff that's out there. A lot of times we are, we are looking to these type of things too in order to be some instrument of provision or, 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 or persevering factor in our life or even healing. Um, and so many people make pilgrimage to these sites uh, to receive healing benefits from the water. I, when I was in Israel, uh, people would go to the Red Sea, I mean, sorry, the Dead Sea, and, uh, and they, you know, they would sell all this stuff saying they would, they would do miraculous things. And I'm sure that some of that stuff has benefit, um, but we know who the healer is. Um, the colonnades in Jerusalem was a place uh, um, of collected human uh, uh, suffering, people attracted by a faint hope of being healed. So verse 5 goes on to say that one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. So what is he unable to do? Okay, so that's exactly right. So the the thought is is that these pools of water are stirred, right? They're stirred, and and, uh, their their thought is is that there's an angelic presence. Uh, One thing thing I read that that they actually believe that the, the angels came down to bathe there. I don't think... Angels need to bathe. Okay, so, so like um, they believe these things, and so when it was stirred, it was like the thought was the first one in gets healed, right? Now, what would that cause amongst a massive crowd of people that are desperate in their health? I mean, I, I don't know. I think there might be a little bit of a competitive spirit here. You know, so people are going to be rushing, pulling. I mean, that, that's, a, that's grounds for a lot of pain and suffering and more conflict, and, and that's their context that they basically make their bed in. And so um, here he is, and he's been in this situation or circumstance for 38 years, and when the water is stirred, uh, with whatever expectation he has, he's not able to get there, okay? So I want to ask you this morning, what do you believe to be his disposition at this point? 38 years. He can't get in the water. He says this key words. He says, no one helps me. Nobody. I mean, what's his, what's his disposition? There's a, there's, there's a large degree of hopelessness. He is, he is resigned to this status. He is, there's, a, there's a strong degree of giving up. My question is, have you, have you ever been in a circumstance that's similar to this? Have you ever been in this place where you just feel like, man, if I could only get this, if I could only have this, and it just seems so foreign, so distant, so unachievable that you kind of just resign to, this is my lot. This is, this is what I'm stuck with. And, uh, and I believe that that was his posture. I believe that's what's being painted here by the Holy Spirit in this, in this text. came across this commentary. It said this, after 38 years, this man's problem had become a way of life. No one had ever helped him. He had no hope of ever being healed and no desire to help himself. The man was paralyzed in sight of healing. That makes it worse, doesn't it? He was paralyzed in sight of what he perceived to be a healing potential. This reminds me of a parable. Jesus was trying to help illustrate a litany of things, and he talks about Lazarus and the rich man. And in this parable, um, both Lazarus... Now, Lazarus was this poor beggar, which it's interesting. Um, he's known by name. The rich man is just a rich man. Um, and he, Lazarus is begging for scraps outside the doors of this rich man's house for most of his life, uh, it's, it's the story goes. And so eventually both die and they go to, they, you know, the rich man uh, goes to hell and, uh, and, the, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, it says. 
right? So, but there, there says that there's this chasm fixed between them, right? That cannot be crossed. And, uh, and Jesus is painting the picture of, of, um, of just those that are without faith and their eternal condition, their eternal separation. And, uh, but what is interesting, and I won't get into too much more about this parable, it, what's, what I think makes hell hell in this particular illustration is that Lazarus is, I mean, the rich man is able to see heaven. He's able to see the, the comfort that, Ab- that, uh, that Lazarus is experiencing. And he, and he constantly talks about his torment and his pain and his suffering. And, 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 and all of a sudden he becomes an evangelist and he says, you know, don't tell my family. And Jesus says, even if someone were to come back from the grave, they would not believe. I believe that this, this man is in that desperate posture. And would you believe that that's almost an ideal place to be when it comes to the, the way that God wants to, the heart that God wants to rescue? That, you know, Jesus said these words. He said, I have not come for the healthy, but for the sick. I have not come for the righteous, but the sinner." Right? Like, it's interesting because who was he, from Jesus' perspective and Jesus' ultimate picture of healing, which is spiritual, rescuing us back to life itself or himself, um, like, who was sick? Everybody. Right? But what he's saying is those that, that acknowledge their sickness, those who acknowledge their need, their brokenness, their, their desperation, right? That, that those are the ones that I've come for, right? And it also says it in the context of the righteous and the birth. Because who's righteous? He says, I've not come for the righteous. Who's righteous? Well, many thought they were, right? But in the context of holiness, we all fall short. And he was saying, I've come for those that, that acknowledge their unrighteousness, that they're a sinner, that are in need of grace. You know, the first beatitude says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, we acknowledge our spiritual poverty. We're acknowledging our bankruptcy before a glorious God. I am dead and he is life. And he is wanting, listen, and here's the thing. God is postured in love to to bring us life. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life, right? I mean, I've come to bring them to life, to myself. And the thing is, this is the heart of God. This is the, the healing heart of God. He's come to heal us from a wound that we experienced in the garden. And listen, man has a disease and it's called sin. And it's making us sick. And it, because we're separated from the healer himself. And here he comes, walking into our lives. And listen, we did not beg for him. We did not ask for him. He initiates this love mission and comes and bathes us in his grace. But this is what he asks that we would acknowledge our sinful state. We would acknowledge our sickness. We would acknowledge that we're desperate to be healed, that we would be in a posture that that cries out to him, acknowledges him for who he is, that without him there is no healing. In him we're healed. By his stripes we are healed. And so this situation looked hopeless. That is until the day that Jesus made his way through the crowd. And, and he didn't even know it was coming. Didn't even, this is such a picture of humanity in us. He didn't even know that, the, that, that life himself was about to walk into his broken context. 
And here he is, just walking through a crowd of pure sickness and brokenness, dying, desperation. And he goes to this, we don't even know his name, but Jesus did. Knew Knew his condition, knew his brokenness. Among all those trying to be healed, Jesus found the one who couldn't help himself. Do you think that's coincidence? Don't miss that. Among everyone there, he finds the guy that can't help himself. Not all suffering is external, by the way, or visible. There is pain that's relational, that's psychological, that's emotional, that's connected to our past and our paradigm. And, and, and I don't think anyone is exempt from that. And Jesus wants to walk in. He wants to, to embrace our desperate circumstance, our heart, and he wants to heal, heal us beyond what our desire for healing is. Don't you, don't you think it was a little short-sighted just to walk do you think that Jesus had bigger ambitions than for this guy to just walk? Do you think he wanted him to walk in life, in him? And so no matter how trapped you feel in your infirmities, God can minister to you in your deepest and most desperate needs. Don't let a problem or hardship cause you to lose hope. God may have special work for you to do in spite of your condition or even because of it. Many have ministered more effectively to hurting people because of the triumph over their hurts. Guys, we have ministries here that seek to just come alongside under the, the, the full conviction that it's God's word by God's spirit that does the work of healing in our life. There's ministries, overcomers, meets Monday nights at 7 o'clock and on Tuesday mornings at 10.30, 10 o'clock. Great awesome opportunities. We have passages of hope. This is a ministry for for ladies that have had painful experience related to abortion in their past. And it's it's a ministry that seeks to just breathe grace and forgiveness so that they can be an agent of that same grace and forgiveness. Uh, There's life groups. And because these life groups are centered around God's word, listen, I have this firm conviction that it is God's word and the obedience to it that ushers healing into our lives. How were you healed? How were you healed in the connotation of by his stripes we are healed? By faith through grace. Right? I mean, like, this is is a work that God does in our hearts. I mean, we're going to see it right here in this passage. John 5 goes on in verse 6 and says, When Jesus saw him lying there, and listen, don't miss this. And first of all, Jesus sees him. God sees us. Hagar said that in the desert, the God who sees me. You know what she's saying, was saying there? He knows me. He sees me. He, he knows my pain. He knows my hurt. He knows my blight. He knows my circumstances. He knows my desperate needs. He knows it better than I know it. And he has a better, listen, he has a, he has a, a better, more loving per- perspective, vantage point, heart desire for your need than you do. Sometimes it's bigger and better. No, I'd say every time. So he says, when Jesus saw him, Jesus saw him lying there and knew. Not only does he see us, he knows us. He knows our heart. He knows our greatest need. 
that he had already been there. Jesus knew that he'd already been there. There was no conversation revolving around. There was no education that Jesus got. There was no, he wasn't, he wasn't a doctor coming on call and, and he got the clipboard. You know, I mean, like he's, he, he comes in with, with omniscience. He comes in with, with full understanding of this situation. And I tell you what, this, this whole thing paints a picture for us is this. One, God knows us. And guys, that's a good thing. Because with that knowledge, he pursues us and loves us anyway. Fully aware of who we are and what we're not and what we've done or haven't done. So God knows us. Secondly, we see the compassion of God in this. Because what is Jesus? As I mentioned earlier, he is showing us the Father. He's showing us the heart of the Father. And here's Jesus. I mean, how can you, can any other conclusion but just massive compassion and you know what? Seven times in this gospel alone, seven times we find Jesus filled with, I mean, he's tired in one occasion, worn out. And it says compassion moved him to come and minister to the people that he was in front of. Man, so we see a God who knows us, intimate. He's, not, he's omniscient. He's compassionate. He's the God of all mercy. And then we also see, which is our theme this month, loved by a powerful God, is that, guys, that, that, that he has the power to heal. Let me say this before we even get to it. Like, what's amazing to me, like, you know, disciples are on a boat, right? Jesus, it's a, it, it, the storm is raging, and we got fishermen that are freaking out, freaking out. Like, these are guys that have grown up on this body of water, and they're like, Jesus is, on the st- is in the stern of the boat, that's the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. He's... He's resting. He's in peace, right? And they go wake him up in a moment of chaos and anxiety, stressed right out, and they're like, don't you care if we live or die? Jesus gets up, and he walks over. You of little faith gets stated in in two different gospels in two different moments, but he says that for sure. And then he walks over, and he says, I mean, he looks at the winds and the waves, and he says, peace be still. And the winds in the way, it goes to a perfect calm. And the disciples are like, what manner of man is this that the winds and the waves obey him? And it says they were in awe. Guys, are you in awe of who this Jesus is? Are you in awe of his hot pursuit of, of, of humanity and his willingness to take the pain and the suffering and the separation that was due our sin? Are you in awe of his love? Are you in awe of his compassion? Are you in awe of the mercy and grace that he's extended to us? Are you in awe that he is, he is, he is God in skin? Because here's what happens in this context. Yes, he can say to the winds and the waves, shut your mouth, right? But you know what else he can do? He can speak to bones and ligaments and muscles too. He is the author of life. He is the, he's the maker, the creator of all things. And he can tell anything to do what it's supposed to do with one exception. And he does that by choice. Us. We're the only one, the one made in his likeness and image that can say to God, no. And it's to our own demise. It's to our own pain. It's to our own destruction. I mean, here he comes to rescue us. I mean, like we are drowning in our sin, in our death, in our, in our pain, in our disease. 
I mean, humanity's disease is sin, and everything that comes from that is what we're facing as a culture. And the only antidote is Jesus. It's the only antidote. It's the only hope that we have. Because what he does is, listen, what do our politicians need? They don't need a new law or a a new moral code. They need a new heart. And God is the only one that can do it. He's the only one. And this guy didn't need new legs. He didn't need a new body. Though God, Jesus gave it to him. He needed a new heart. And that's what Jesus says. He ultimately brings about our healing. And it manifests itself in, in so many other ways. And this is our God. This is our Jesus. This is the one. This is our Savior and friend. And he calls us friend. You know, he said that. He said that. And then here's the glorious thing. He's our future bridegroom. And we're his bride. We're the one that he's making radiant through the power and presence of his spirit under the counsel and guidance of his word. We're the ones that he's beautifying for himself. The father has adopted us as his child and we get to be the bride of Christ. And there's a banquet that's coming. There's a party that's coming. And we get to hand out the the wedding invitations every day of our lives as witnesses. That's what we're called to do. And we don't do that out of some sense of obligation or responsibility. We do that because it's the only thing that makes sense. Like, look, if you've got the cure for cancer, do you shut your mouth or do you get out there and share it with people that are dying? And here's the deal. People are dying and going to hell. An eternity, an eternity separated from God. I mean, this is way bigger than AIDS, Right? I mean, the things that we'll go to in order to be a part of a cure for cancer. But this is bigger than cancer. This is, this is humanity's greatest need. It is the disease of humanity. It's called sin, and Jesus is the only answer. I'm the only way back to the Father. No one gets there any other way. Why? Because I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And let me say this. Jesus is walking into this man's life, and he is not trying to simply heal his legs so he could walk in some blown-away coma. I'm walking. Like, he's, he's saying, I've come to bring you life and life to the full. And that's the healing that we're all desperate for. That's the healing that we witness out of. That's the healing we live out of. That becomes the focus and the passion and the, and the declaration of our lives. Because I was dead, and now I am alive. I was lost, lost, completely lost, not partially, kind of lost. I was lost, but now I'm found. Like this is the glorious work that only God can do. And so it says Jesus saw him lying there. He knew him, that he had already been there. He knows our history. He knows our future. Who better to put our hands, our lives in the hands of and just say, you're Lord and I'm doing it. Whatever you say, that's how it goes. And that's exactly what Jesus modeled for us when he said, I do whatever the Father tells me to do. I do it when and how, every time, because his way is not just the best way, it is perfect. Have you subscribed to the Lordship of Christ? Have you just deemed him Lord because that's who he is? Have you just said that I'm through walking in my strength, my will, my time, my agenda? I'm just going to do what you call me to do, and I'm going to do it when you tell me to do it, Lord. And I'm going to honor you in this. And I'm going to obey, not because I have to, not because, it, because I want to, because I'm convinced that your way is best and is perfect. 
So he saw him. He knew him. He knew the extent of his illness. He, know, he knows the detail. It says he knows the number of hairs on our head. In Matthew 6, it says, look, aren't you more precious than these? Talking about grass and birds. Right? And then he gives us this awesome, awesome statement. Matthew 6, 33. Write it down. It says this. It says, seek first. This is the key to, not, to do not worry. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He says, he says, do not worry about these things. What's he talking about? He's talking about the things you worry about or need. Because you know what? I know. I know. I know. I know what you need. And guys, can we be in a posture? Can we trust God enough that when we're not getting what we perceive we need, that it's okay, it's better even, that we trust him, that, that pain isn't the greatest indicator of his faithfulness and goodness, that it might actually be the, the catalyst to our maturity, and that we might believe that and have joy. L- listen to these things. I-, I need to wrap this up. Listen to these things. It says this, Jesus sees us. Jesus knows us. He knows the extent of our pain. And you know what's even better? He's our mediator. He's our high priest. Get this. He understands. Do you ever, you ever, you ever have pain and sorrow? you ever going through something that I know many of you are going through and you're like, listen, nobody gets me. Nobody understands what I'm facing. Nobody even appreciates. There's, there's, no, there's no amount of compassion that, that, that anybody can, 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 can empathize with your circumstance, but there's one who does. There's one who knows. There's one, there's one that's closer than a brother. There's, there's one that he wants you to cry out to him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to rest in him. He wants you to know and believe that he knows and sees. He understands. He empathizes. But he is using this as he did with Paul to overcome pride, arrogance, whatever the case may be. But in the midst of this, he is calling you to a radical dependency on him that will birth life and ministry through your life that is radiant, radiant. But we are, we are stuck on something ourselves. We want to be in control. We want to do it in our strength and our will and our way. And he declares that it's, it's lordship here. He's, he, he holds that out and he's very clear. Like, you, you've got to, I've given my life to you. I, I, I'm asking you to count the cost. Give your life to me. And, and no longer do you call the shots I do. And this is what it means to call him Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That means sovereign. That means, that means king, monarch. That means he gets, the call, he gets to make the calls in our life. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a declaration truth of the scriptures. We, we need grace to even do that, to believe these things. He sees us. He knows us. He comes into us. He comes, excuse me, he comes to us uniquely. He comes to us like this precious, intimate. He comes to us like, behold, I stand at the door and knock, Revelation 3 says. Look, I don't know where you're at this morning, but have you closed the door of your heart to the lover of your soul? Have you not opened the door of your heart to the one that wants to come in and rescue and heal you? Like heal your heart. Listen, our hearts are so sick. We don't need our hearts fixed. We need a new one. And he's come to bring us life, new life with a heart that he wants to write his word because you know what his word does? And we see it right here in this text. His word heals us. But the catalyst is this, and we see it in a countless situations. We must walk in it. We must obey it. We must do it. 
in order for it to have its healing effect. And he gives us the mercy. And God never asks us to do something that it doesn't help us to do. Like Jesus helps him in this. He gives him the power to rise up. But he had to obey Jesus' words to stand. And he did. We see it in Solomon's colonnade later on in Acts. Right? All that Peter did was, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the guy, it says, reached out his hand. Is that not the most significant statement of faith? Because we can look at this passage and say, look, he didn't even know Jesus. He couldn't put belief in someone he never even met. He didn't even know his name. He didn't know who it was. He was so overwhelmed by his own circumstances. Guys, is that you? You're so consumed with you. Whatever, whether that be pain or sorrow, adversity, or just success. And, and I mean... Are you so consumed with your kingdom that you haven't seen that there's a glorious kingdom that God is offering to you and it comes, at, it comes with a king that loves you and died for you and wants to rescue you from everything but we're, we're just holding on to our junk and, and unwilling to release, what, death? It says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. We've got a zombie thing going on here and, 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 and God is saying, I'm come to bring you alive. And we're saying, oh, no, I'm kind of comfortable with this. I don't like change very much. Uh, this will do for me for now. Right? I, I would just really appreciate it if you could just pick me up and put me in this water. And I need to be the first one, by the way, because then I'm going to be here. Really? Do you think that Jesus had a much bigger plan for him? He sees us. He knows us. He comes to us uniquely. And you know what? I love it that your grace finds you. Like his grace finds you. Like like. We didn't find him. He found us. We didn't first choose him. He chose us. We didn't first love him. He first loved us. Like we, we weren't looking for him. He was looking for us. Do we get that? Like that's huge. He was looking for us. He was looking for him. Right? I mean like who, who found who? The woman at the well or Jesus found her? Right? He, he sought her out. He's seeking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Listen, he invites us into his healing. That's what I see in this text. He invites us into his healing. Listen, he asks an obvious question here, right? Do you want to be healed? Uh, duh. He doesn't even answer that question, right? Right? I mean, like you might say, I want to be healed. But here's the thing. Are you obeying God's word? Are you trusting him as Lord? And is that, is that true when, it, when you look at your day timer? Is that true when you look at your, your checkbook? Is that true when you walk out the door today into your mission field? Is he, does he get, because we can say, mouth can say anything, right? We can say, oh, Jesus is Lord. It says many will say, Lord, Lord, right? And he will look at them at the last day and said, depart from me, for I did not know you. We can say he's Lord, but does our life, do we, is there evidence to that statement in our life? Because here, this guy doesn't need any sort of credentials. He, does, he gets up. He takes his mat and he walks. He took Jesus at his word and he walked it out. Are you doing that? Listen, he'll give you the power to do it. You couldn't do it without him. But if he's invited you into himself, he's invited you into life and promise and hope and peace and truth. Are you, are you looking for, for all of that in other places? Because they're counterfeits. 
and they're empty and they're shallow and they'll never satisfy. And how long do you have to get down the road before you declare like Solomon, it's all vanity, it's all chasing after the wind, that the full duty of man is this, to fear God and obey his commands. That's it, right? That's it. This is from a man that tasted it all. This is just recently he told to us. He did it all. He had it all from a worldly perspective, and he said it was vanity. It was a chasing after the wind. It was useless and empty, and he said this is it. You know, eternity is set in the hearts of man, and the only way that that eternity can be set or fixed or resolved is that eternity himself has to come and fill the void. And here's the crazy thing. He's coming to us. He's, he's inviting us in. What is your posture? And listen, I think there's a ton of people in the category of Lord, Lord, but their life has no resemblance to that statement. Please don't be those people. Please, I beg you, live for Jesus. Like follow him with your life. Let, let that lordship take substance in the way that you you serve like he served, loved like he loved, forgive to the extent that it just seems like we, we've totally lost sight of our own emotions and feelings. Yeah, because we're not following feelings and we're not following our flesh and we're not being motivated by fear. We're walking by faith because those are things that have yet to be realized. We're just believing him for his word and we're trusting. That's what happened here. He said, he said, Jesus said, stated, do this. And can I just point out for a second that he had all of his, I mean, at this point he's completely disillusioned, but at this moment he had all of his potential healing wrapped up in a pool that would be stirred and being the first one in. How possible was that after 38 years of unsuccess? And he's still there with that premise. And Jesus comes into his broken premises and his broken promises, and his broken heart, and he says, stand up, walk. Pick up your mat, because he wants to stir the pot, and yet these Pharisees mad at him, because that's what he did. He initiated that. Let's, let's not believe that that's just a cause and effect thing. Jesus did that on the Sabbath intentionally in order to create a conversation, in order to, to instigate change, in order to heal them, ultimately, and there's a conversation that, that Tom's going to preach next week. Don't miss it. It is awesome, right? Because up to this point, they're just persecuting Jesus. Because I've got to close up here. At this point, they're, they're persecuting Jesus. Why? Why are they persecuting him? Because he's, he's healing people on the Sabbath, withered hand guys, and his disciples are eating, you know, gleaning from fields. And, and they're like, you're breaking our rule. I mean, God's rule. No, my, yeah, you're breaking our rules. I mean, because that's what's going on there, right? And, and, and Jesus said, man... I am the lawgiver. I am the holiness of God's word. I mean, I'm the one that gets to define right and wrong. And you're here at odds with me, and yet you say that you honor Moses and his word. And then what does he do? He claims to be, he claims God, Yahweh, to be his daddy. And he says, dad's always working. Ever since the fall, he's working to rescue you, to impart belief. He is working to set you free. In other words, he's working to heal you. What, what do you do if an ox falls in a hole on the Sabbath? You go and take the ox out of the hole. You don't let it die, right? How much more precious is what Jesus is modeling right here? Guys, please understand in this text, he is instigating a conversation with the objective of healing everybody that's going to be gathered around this conversation. And that's coming next week.
And he is pulling, he pulls no punches. He said, so you think by me saying that my father is God himself, that that's a claim? Let me tell you, let me make a claim. And he takes it to the whole next level. Guys, Jesus walks into our life, offers us life eternal. Please don't misunderstand the message this morning. Does Jesus still heal? Yeah, but he doesn't, he doesn't ever want us to deem him a miracle worker. He doesn't want us to misunderstand why he came and who he is. And if we have any other expectation of him, he's, he's, he's opposed to that. He says, he declares who he is. I am the son of God who came on the mission to set you free, to rescue from your sinful state, to heal you in the most perfect way, in the most complete way. I'm on mission to do this. I'm the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And I have, listen, all of these, all of these miracles that I'm doing, they're only meant to authenticate me. Don't run after the miracle. Run after the miracle. Him. Run after me is what he said. Know me for who I am, not what I can give you. Because that's the greatest joy of your life is that you get to know God firsthand, friend. I mean, purchase to be a bridegroom. It's an amazing thing. So I finish with this. Listen to this. He says to him, this is, the, this is the question. Do you want to be healed? Guys, let that question resonate in your own heart this morning. Do you want to be healed in the most complete way? Or do you just want like these moments where, you know, God, just kind of preserve my my, my broken state. Listen, the father didn't, had no ambition to, to enable the son in Luke 15 in, in, the, in the pig's pen. He wanted him to come to his senses so that he would come back home. I don't know where you're at, but maybe today you need to come back home. You need to remember that he's the prodigal father waiting on the horizon of your life and is, 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 is beckoning you, longing for your soul to be fully and completely redeemed and wanting you to be rescued from all of these pretenses and broken paradigms and broken paths and hurtful places. Listen, he wants to heal you, and it includes physical healing. But please, please understand, he has a greater mission in your life. There's a greater healing to be had. When we close today, we have oil up here because we believe that God still heals. Emotionally, relationally, physically. I mean, like, and we all need that. And, and, and we believe that that's commissioned through prayer through a dialogue, and, and, but through radical obedience to the things that we know God is calling us to do. And one of those things says, if anyone is sick, this is what it says in James, let them come. And the elders will lay hands and pray on them. And so we're going to do that at the end of service. Uh, if, if, you, if you want prayer, uh, we're going to put a chair here and we're going to pray for as, as long as it takes, as many people that want prayer. We're just going to pray for you, right? And we're going to ask the healer to heal you. Um, and we're going to beg him to do his glorious work. And if he does, we'll praise him. And if he doesn't, we'll praise him. Because it, I believe his no's are, are, are glorious as yes is yet to come. You know, that his promises are good. And when he tells us to wait, man, that's good news because something glorious is, is, is about to hit us. So here it is. Do you want to be healed? One of the things we must see in this, he doesn't force himself on us. We can see this throughout the scriptures. God does not force his will. We're not puppets or robots. He doesn't. He, he invites us in to his sovereign care. I don't have to come. I'm sorry. I have not come for the healthy. I already mentioned that, that verse. Uh, he explains the reason for his sickness later. Isn't that interesting? Because listen, I, one thing, I wanted to get to this, but I'm not going to get to it today. Here's the thing. He says this. He says this. And this, don't miss this. 
Because I believe that there is a handful of people here that needs to be, like the Holy Spirit wants to convict you in this. He says, he finds him later. Like, and it's interesting. It says Jesus found him later in the temple, right? And he goes up to him and he says this. He says, well, let me read it to you. Because, I mean, it, it, is, it, is a, it is a profound statement. So it says in verse 14, he says, After Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more. And unlike the, the woman the woman caught in adultery in, long, in John 8, he goes on to say this, that nothing worse may happen to you. Guys, does Jesus state some things that are extremely loving and, and powerfully caring, but he, he admonishes us constantly. It's part of what God's word does. You know, all, God's word, you know, all God's word is, is brief. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, right? So correction and training and rebuking. So here, listen to what he says. He says, Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Guys, you know, Galatians 6, 7 says, God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. Chapter 6 says, sow to the Spirit. That's how spiritual fruit is found, is by sowing to the Spirit. So what I'm saying in this, guys, is this, is that, man, God is beckoning us to, to walk in holiness. Like he has cleansed us from sin and the penalty of sin, but he is beckoning us to walk in holiness, to sin no more. Now, is he talking about perfection? No, he's talking about maturity. He's talking about walking in repentance. He's not not with a license to sin, with an appreciation for the grace of God and the cross of Christ. And that we would would walk and, and our heart, our passion would be to never sin again because of what it betrays in the love of Christ that something worse might happen to you. Do you know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning to wisdom? I hope that sets in this morning. That, that, that it should not be ever our ambition to betray the love of Christ by sin. Um, have you resigned to your sinful state? Are you, I mean, I hate that, that there's a mantra in, in AA where they, you know, they stand up and say, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. No, you're not. That's not who you are. That's who you've resigned to be. That's who you've, you've, you've just, you know, when, when a person in, in social labeling has become the prostitute or the, really? Is that, is that how God sees them? And it, should it be how we see them? No. Second Corinthians 5 tells us that. So like, that's not who we are. He had resigned to this condition. Have you resigned to something in your life that is killing you? that is destroying you, that is leaving you broken rather than bringing it to the healer and confessing it as sin and acknowledging that he's the only one that can bring us out of that addiction, that rigid state of unforgiveness? Have you lost hope of of restoration? Jesus has a greater healing in mind by his stripes. We are healed. Let's pray. Father, thank you that it's your mission to heal us. Thank you that if it wasn't yours, it wouldn't be ours. Thank you, Father, that you first chose us, that you initiated this mission that would rescue us from our broken, fallen state. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room that is yet to to declare you as as Lord, would you give them the faith in this very moment to cry out to you and to profess you as, as Lord and that you would put your spirit in them so that they would walk out 
under the power of, and guidance, because not by power or by might, but by your spirit, that we would walk in the newness of life. Father, if there's those among us that, uh, that confess you as Lord, Lord Jesus, and yet that is not true of their life, I pray that you would ask them, Father, that you would call upon them to render their life to you anew and that they would beg you for your spirit's presence because we can't do it without you. We didn't get here without you. We won't get there without you. So, Lord, we are desperate for your finishing work, and you've promised to do it. And so, Lord, I pray that you administer to hearts in this moment. Holy Spirit, you're glorious in the way that you move and work. I pray that you would move people to liberty, healing, as they yield their lives to you and die to themselves so they can live eternally in your presence. Father, would you heal people today? In your glorious way, I pray that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.